there will not be meat from an animal after 2050. I, I totally believe that. I hope it's a lot earlier than that, but I just totally believe that it'll be it'll be a delicacy, for example, to have um, meat from an animal. An animal does not have to suffer for you to have meat anymore. This is the reality of this world. And that's the, just a beautiful reality that I, I'm so happy I'm, I'm alive to be part of. Hi, plant friends, and welcome to another episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we have Prince Khaled Awalid, although he does prefer you call him Khaled. He is a Saudi entrepreneur and investor and the son of Prince Awalid Bintal, the Saudi billionaire investor and chairman of Kingdom Holdings. In 2017, Khaled invested in plant-based news, and he is now a co-owner. We will always be grateful for him for what seems like a huge leap of faith. Plant-based news would not be where it is today without him. As a figure of business, technology enthusiast and investor, Khaled is a firm advocate for clean energy, healthy living and the humane treatment of animals. He is also a motivated voice for Middle Eastern entrepreneurs. Khaled's work sees him investing in companies like Beyond Meat, biotech startup Turtle Tree Labs and animal-free Bond Pet Foods. In 2018, Khaled was named Technology Investor of the Year at the Arabian Business CEO Middle Eastern Awards. Khaled predicts that vegan products from Beyond Meat will be cheaper than animal-derived foods by 2025. It was really great to sit down and chat with Khaled and learn more about his life and his history. I know you're going to love this episode. I did too. And as always, please don't forget to comment, like and share. And if you're on iTunes, please do leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Khaled. It's a, a real pleasure and honor to finally sit down and hear your story. Oh, no, thank you very much for having me and uh, hello everyone. Having high blood pressure and high cholesterol um, and being pushed uh, by doctors to take this pill and that pill for the rest of my life um, and, and then going plant-based and losing uh, 25, 30 kilograms um, and, uh, and, and changing my life to the better. It really opened my eyes to see that this is really the future of how I want to live my life. You know, the evidence is clear. Uh, the, the future is definitely plant-based. You have about a 90 to 96% um, uh, decrease in water consumption. You, you eliminate completely the need to buy medicine and, um, and antibiotics, uh, of which, by the way, 80% of antibiotics are used just, to, just for farm animals. It's ridiculous. Uh, I've got more clarity. Um, honestly, for me, I invest with a purpose, and I do think it has to do with my lifestyle. And uh, your vibe attracts your tribe. So before we get started and learn about everything that you're doing with your life now and all the great achievements that you've uh, got through recently, let's go back in time and let's talk about what brought us together, which is veganism and plant-based. How did you discover this lifestyle and where did it all begin for you? Oh, um, it began um, a good nine or 10 years ago. Uh, I've had uh, high cholesterol and um, and not necessarily bl blood pressure, but a lot of fat build up around my liver and stuff like that because I was a big junk food eater. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, the doctor put me on Lipitor and something like stuff like that. And my family member, you know, told me that uh, it's you better off just changing your um, your lifestyle and just uh, doing something else with your with your life instead of just sticking with Lipitor and Cristor because my my uh, knees were hurting, my joints were hurting. It was just a miserable life. And I had stopped um, working out then, um, call it laziness, call it whatever you want, but I just didn't have time. But I, in reality, it was, um, it, was being, it was just being lazy. And I actually switched to a pescatarian diet and um, my cholesterol shot down and, um, 
and a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff was happening in, internally. But uh, the only one thing uh, that I noticed was that my cholesterol wasn't going down as far or as low as the doctor wanted to see. So then I changed into, a, that took about a year and a half, and I changed into a plant-based um, uh, diet. And the uh, doctor was surprised. He said, listen, the medicine is working. Please continue with Levitor. <laughs> I'm like, well, I have, a, have a little surprise for you, doc. I'm not on your... Um, your um, your medication and he couldn't and i'm telling you he did not believe me i'm telling you it was ridiculous so then i said listen you know um, maybe read a book or two about this stuff but <laughs> but from my point of view i'm not on your medicine and uh, honestly that's that was the proof that i needed just to continue doing what i'm doing i do not believe that people are inherently greedy i don't believe they're inherently bad but I do believe that the way people are growing up and the way kids are growing up and the way um, uh, mothers, fathers and generations um, of people and how they're growing up, they're affecting people's decisions on what is right and what is wrong. And I do not believe that animal suffering is part of that agenda. So I would like to shift people's greed from looking at animals as a uh, cashier uh, for them or a commodity to them. Uh, and, and, and shifting that to science and saying you can, your greed, you can remain with your greediness. You can be as greedy as you, as you bloody want. And obviously, you know, over the years that I've known you, you've, you've been very passionate about the animal side of veganism. When did that come for you? Because obviously for a lot of people, like including myself, I also made the switch for health reasons. I had a lot of trouble with my body. And when I made the switch, I saw huge health improvements. But then I was exposed to stuff and it, you know, films and documentaries. And it, it really like elevated my understanding of the animal part of veganism. So how, how did it happen for you? I think about two, three years after being a plant-based, I started to learn a lot more through documentaries um, and obviously through family members telling me about um, the leather industry and, and I should not be wearing leather too because uh, my lifestyle has been um, going towards uh, compassion and compassion doesn't mean just what's on your plate, but actually just means, you know, um, having a lifestyle of compassion. So I just started dabbling into an understanding where um, where the leather, uh, where leather comes from and everything. And it, it was um, it was such an eye-opening moment. Um, I actually, I'll tell you something that nobody really knows other than uh, my partner and some Italian companies I used to work with. But I used to own a, um, a an upholstery uh, company that does uh, seats for for these super uh, super uh, cars, um, wow. like uh, Bagani, like uh, Ferrari, like uh, Bugatti and stuff like that. And I, I swear to you, I, I remember this. And, and granted, this was... 2006, 2005, something like that. And granted, I used to look at the mountains of leather that was on top of each other with all the colors, obviously, and different stuff like that. And, and it, it, I'm telling you, it, it made sense to me in my head, but then the connection wasn't there. You know what I mean? It was so, it was amazing. You know, I, I had, I was like, oh, wow, those are all dead cows. And then, you know, then you go on with your day, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I was eating meat and everything. Did you see something that switched it for you? Well, no, it was just like it was mounds of, of, of leather, sheets of leather on top of each other, um, different colors and everything. But it was it was just just the fact that it, it, it was it was mounds on top of mounds and, and leather on top of leather that just made it look like made it look like a saddle, so to speak. You know what I mean? And I was like, 
you know, that, that, that's so familiar to me. And then anyway, a few years later, and obviously now that I'm talking about uh, me quitting wearing leather and actually participating in, in just being in the leather industry, whether it's from a car that I have or whether it's the upholstery in like in a house and, or a chair or something, uh, it just made, I, I made the connection then. And I was like, oh my goodness, I used to be in this industry and I used to participate in this on a daily basis. You know, it was ridiculous. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not happy that uh, for my friend that he lost his, um, his company because it did go bankrupt, uh, but I'm actually happy. I lost my sh- my shirt on that one because uh, I-, I don't think I would have been happy to get my money back or even get the profits out of that company because right now I just know where it came from and it's something that I'm happy that it was you know, kind of a wash if you know what I mean. It was a progress for me um, and I understood where leather came from and then I just became full on vegan uh, learning where um, leather came from and then that just uh, I never looked back after that uh, since then it opened the doors I call it unlocking realization because you know that realization is in us we know that when we sit down to a plate of meat or we buy a leather jacket we know intrinsically within us that that is from an animal but we as you said we don't have that connection yet where we experience the empathy and that's what I think it is. It's like veganism to me is empathy. It's empathizing with the victim of an unnecessary act of violence. Yes, you know, it's such a good yeah. way of putting it. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and in fact, it's such not, it is really not a hard way to live. Uh, if you really think about all the alternatives right now, you can easily, everyone, everyone listening um, or not listening for that matter, can easily switch to a plant-based uh, lifestyle. I mean, we've got uh, we've got the Beyond Meat, we've got Impossible, we've got uh, Gardein, we've got uh, Tofurk. You've got so many options for for meat, as well as uh, just going on a whole food plant based diet. Because at the end of the day, that's that's what I am on right now. I've been on this for about a good six to seven months now, and I've never felt better. You know, I've I have I haven't had any processed food in so long, and it's just it's, it's something that I can easily live with. But the fact that you stop and you think about the compassion side of it is really what matters because for a lot of people and for the vast majority of people, to, uh, to be honest, uh, compassion is is ingrained within them. And if they understand that um, for about two or three minutes of pleasure, there was a lifetime, literally a lifetime of suffering, it's just, it's, it's just not worth it, you know, and especially with, with the alternatives that are available now. And I'm really happy to be to be vegan uh, and, and plant based in this uh, in this era. You know, it's such a beautiful era to be a, to be a vegan. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine people going being vegan in the 80s or 70s or 60s. Uh, that would have mm-hmm. been uh, that would have been super tough, obviously, if you're used to uh, the the alternative. You don't have to be the biggest um, factory farming um, company in the world to be rich. You can do that with other alternatives clean meat, licensing that technology. Hopefully companies like Memphis and Just and other companies license this technology to these companies so that they continue to provide people meat and continue to provide people what they want uh, without involving animal animal suffering or involving our harm with harming the environment and harming other species and whatnot. When you have companies like Pinnacle, when you have companies like Tyson investing in companies like Memphis Meats and um, and Beyond Meat, when you have people like Bill Gates or Richard Branson, Sir, Sir Richard Branson um, uh, investing in these companies, there's a clear future there. And the, and the future isn't simply because it's good for the environment. The, the future is it's good for people's health. It's better for people's health. It's a hundred times better for, for animals, uh, animals' welfare because what we're doing is unspeakable, it's despicable, 
and it's ignorant and it's arrogant. One thing that sort of connects our lives with compassion is also religion and spirituality. Um, you are a devout Muslim um, from the Middle East, and it, religion, I imagine, is a really sort of intrinsic part of your life, and your faith is an intrinsic part of your life. How has sort of being a Muslim and, ha and having a spiritual practice and a, and a religion, has it influenced your veganism? And how do you see the two of them connected? You know, that's such a beautiful question. So I, I consider myself more spiritual than religious. And, and um, I, I do uh, the exact same uh, things that every other um, Muslim would do, but I take it to, 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 to my level. I don't take it to another level and all that stuff. I'm not trying to one-up someone, but what I do is I just interpret it in my way and um, just really um, uh, practice it in the way that I, I feel that it should be practiced. So it's interesting because, you know, most of the world, there's like 8 billion people on earth, and most of those people practice a religion of some sort, whether they're Buddhist or Muslim or Christian or, or Jewish. And all the world's religions preach compassion, and they all preach loving, love and kindness. But isn't it ironic, though, that many of the religious leaders that practice within all these re religions, animals are often left out of the picture. They're left out of the story of compassion. You know what's funny? Uh, it's actually not left out when you actually practice and really understand what Islam is about. Islam is, is not about, obviously, um, uh, abstaining from, uh, from meat. But there are many rules uh, that you have to follow uh, um, in order to eat meat, that in, in, in effect, factory farming is easily uh, un-Islamic, is easily not halal uh, by definition. I mean, an animal shouldn't see another animal being slaughtered. An animal shouldn't fee, be, be, be in fear before, uh, before, that, uh, before uh, it is killed. And whether that is even possible for the last 10 seconds or 20 seconds of its life, obviously, that's, that's not even a debate. It's, mm. it's, it, there's no chance that an animal doesn't feel fear. But uh, we're talking about factory farming here. And um, it's just by definition, it's not. You know, it has to be raised in a proper way and in, in, a, in, in an actual free-range environment. So I'm not in, in any way defending slaughtering animals because I just don't participate in that um, in that uh, ritual. So it doesn't really matter for me if people understand it or not. But my uh, point of view is if you just understood what Islam really was about, it is all about compassion. And it's really about understanding. I mean, as soon as you – if you see a stranger, you're, you're supposed to say, Salaamu Alaikum, which is peace, peace up, uh, be upon you. That's the first thing that you say to a stranger, let alone just uh, someone that you know. So by definition, you start with peace. Uh, and again, we understand that there, there are several rituals that have to uh, be, uh, be um, obtained in order for uh, meat to be halal. And obviously that definition, definition varies from, from one place to another. And, and granted, I respect them all. It's, it's, it's up to them. I, I just choose not to eat meat for, for my personal uh, beliefs, which is I just don't want to be part of um, uh, any suffering whatsoever, whether it's uh, animals or non-animals. But um, I agree with you. You know, there, there's a lot of, uh, of beautiful things uh, in, in religion that, that aren't looked upon in the way that it should be. I've seen so many um, overlapping um, beliefs uh, when it comes to Christianity, to Judaism, to Islam, to Buddhism. There, there's so many uh, overlapping um, um, uh, thoughts and, uh, and perspectives. And at the end of the day, every one of those religions preaches for peace, whether it's, mm -hmm. whether it's for an animal or whether it's for another human. Uh, there is not a religion that I know of, at least, that preaches for for um, suffering of any kind. It's just that um, people have have 
interpreted things in their way, and then countries have gotten into the into into the um, in, into their ways of having meat available for everyone because back then that was a luxury, and now uh, not now, but back then it was a luxury, and then they wanted the luxury to be available everywhere. But now it's not even a luxury anymore. You know what I mean? Anyone and everyone can have can have meat, and and as a matter of fact, and there lies the problem. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's actually not a luxury. It's actually um, it's actually destroying lives because uh, it's being consumed breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks in between. Mm. It's ridiculous. Which um, is something we've never done in our entire two hundred thousand years of history. But that's so true. On on the, on the topic of religion, though, and spirituality, and you know, we have a lot of religious leaders and spiritual leaders. If we're preaching compassion and peace, can we truly ever have compassion and peace if there's still violence on our plates? If we're still sitting down to a to a meal three times a day to an animal who has potentially and probably suffered greatly, you know, how can we as spiritual people continue? This is one of the reasons why I stopped eating meat as well, being a Buddhist. You know, I decided how can I be preaching love and compassion to other people and talking about understanding and, and equanimity when I'm sitting down to violence. Do you think that we as people, as, as the laity of our sort of faiths, have a responsibility to challenge our spiritual leaders um, on the lack of discussion around the sort of, you know, violence towards animals or having more compassion towards animals? You know, I, I get what you where you're coming from, and I totally agree with you. And in, in a sense, um, that should be discussed. But in another sense, there are there are uh, there are um, a number of issues that we really, really need to tackle as a, as a society. And, and I feel like a lot of religious leaders are prioritizing, so to speak. And granted, a lot of my vegan listeners and friends might not like the the fact that I'm saying that uh, a lot of people aren't prioritizing animals. At the end of the day, uh, you're vegan. I'm vegan. We represent maybe, maybe 1%. And that's actually being generous of the world population. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, so, so no, uh, that, that, that's not on, on, on people's forefront, um, uh, on their mind in the forefront. So from my point of view, I, I do understand that it should be discussed and it should be um, a matter of, of, of urgency simply because of how we're consuming animals is contributing to one, our livelihood, two, uh, the environment and and just devastating environment the environment when it comes to water degradation when it goes to when it comes to um, um deforestation when it comes to ocean dead zones when it comes to uh, species uh, extinction extinctions uh, and whatnot there the list goes on and on you know and and there uh, i i am yet to see the benefits of having meat on on our plates, I'm literally yet to see the the benefits of that. That a plant based um, alternative cannot uh, cannot um, overshadow uh, and and exceed. Um, so, so at the end of the day, uh, I do understand your point of view when it comes to the religious leaders. They need to point out these things and and have that in their forefront. But I also do understand that we do have uh, other issues that we need to deal with, and this is the beauty of where uh, people like us um, uh, need to need to uh, not necessarily fight. I don't want to use that word, but 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 shed light uh, to the fact that uh, animal agriculture is a huge contributor, is a negative huge contributor to 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 people's lives as well, more importantly to our planet, and we need to address that. And the way I address it, at least. Um, and the way I think people need to address it is it's not necessarily by shouting uh, at people who eat meat or shouting at religious people who who, who eat meat or, or, or yogis who, who consume meat and all that stuff. But from my point of view, it's really um, it's really about 
practicing what you preach um, and, and and just lead by example and and I, I, I you you, um, you you get people to listen to you a lot more when you're nice and when you're compassionate and when you're understanding rather than just in your face and that's this is what I would love for people to to start adopting really I think we'd go such a long way with that Absolutely. There's a saying in Buddhism that you need a strong back and a soft front, a strong back to stand up to the hardships and the challenges of life, but a soft front to embrace and welcome people that you meet and strangers and friends, because you know we can't be hard and tough and strong on all angles. Otherwise, we end up pushing people away. Couldn't have said it better. I, I love what you just said. I see a clear change. A change is going to happen very soon. I, I can see it. Again, you don't have to be a visionary. You don't have to see the future, the pretend to see. You don't have to have a crystal ball uh, to to um, uh, to see this. It's it's uh, it's a clear trend that's happening now, um, and I'm telling you, in the next, let's say, five to seven years, the impact on the meat industry is going to be strong. Let's go back to your childhood. So you were raised in Riyadh, which is in Saudi Arabia. Yes, it's correct. I was born in the U.S. Uh, and, and then I was raised here. Yes. Yeah, and you're part of the royal family in Saudi. What was it like growing up in that world? Were you very sort of separate from from sort of the general life in Saudi, or were you able to sort of go out and sort of mix with everybody else? Because um, I'm not that familiar with with life in Saudi Arabia since I've never I haven't yet to visit. <laughs> yet, exactly. That's good. Yet to visit. So, so really, um, uh, my childhood was was. Um, was a really typical childhood, and I know people would be surprised by, it, especially knowing who my father is and, and and my family and everything. But regardless of that, uh, my father and mother really made it uh, made it a point to, to that my sister and I have a uh, have a normal and and regular um, uh, childhoods as possible, and that means interacting with with all sorts of people uh, in our environment, in our um, neighborhood. It was just a beautiful way to, to 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 be raised, you know. I remember my mom in our in our house where we grew up, and she would um, she would know, uh, for example, the gardener's first name. Uh, she would know the the, the chef's uh, first name, and we had an operator, so uh, so she would go into the operator's um, room, I guess, and and uh, she would make sure everything is clean, everything is tidy, and <laughs> and and just is there anything they needed? And uh, she was just really really nice and and approachable and very. Um, just human about it, uh, about dealing with these things. And I, I, I um, truly believe I got the, the human aspect of life from her. You know, I, um, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm anything better than anyone else, but I, I just love the way that she led by example and led her life with, with being in touch with, with whether it's a maid or whether it's um, a leader of a, of, of a country. You know, she, she would be the same with both people. Uh, and then obviously with my dad, it was, it was, um, it was a lot. He, he is a very hard worker. You know, he's, he's by definition, I think a workaholic. So, um, <laughs> um, so he led his life uh, by example, you know, he really worked a lot and, and we, we saw him as much as he could, he could let us see him uh, in terms of being home and seeing us. And I remember, uh, I remember seeing him literally every night at dinner. You know, he would actually make it back for dinner, regardless of what would happen. And and uh, those are the things that uh, that uh, instilled um, in me when it comes to the value of family. You know, it uh, family comes first, no matter what. And, and um, dinner time is a super important to sit down oh my with goodness, family, yeah. right? Oh yeah, 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 big time. And especially when it comes to you know these little things where you think that nah, you know my, my kid won't miss me. You know it'll be okay. I can miss one or two. 
but he was there on every birthday. He was there for majority of dinners. We would play soccer together. Uh, I remember I would rush having dinner because I needed to be in bed by, I think it was 7.30 or 8. And uh, dinner was at, let's say, 6. So I needed to rush having dinner so I can at least play some soccer or football, rather. Play with with him and everything, and it was a dream for me to play with him and stuff like. Because I never, I we didn't see him as much as we wanted to, but look where we are now. You know, uh, I'm so blessed to have uh, to, to have a father like him who's really uh, taught me a lot about my work ethic, a lot about uh, dedication, all about trust. And I, and I'm telling you, my my sister is an absolute angel. You know, she's got the best. Uh, she, I, I think she got the best of of whatever my mom had and whatever my dad has. And I think I got the worst and the best. <laughs> but, uh, Amazing. Such I think we all do. We all do. We all eventually turn into our parents in some way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just the way it is. And also obviously make the improvements and try and not make the same mistakes our parents do. But, you know, it's always about getting better. And one thing that I'm interested in is you told me once that you suffered a, a severe accident. It was I think you said it was like age 14 or something, wasn't it? You had a, a really, really bad accident on it. Was it a jet ski? Yeah, it was a jet ski. I think I was 15 or 14. Uh, it was in 1994. And I was on a jet ski. And I used to do some some, some wild stuff on jet skis. Um, you are a bit of a wild child. Oh, big time, big time. <laughs> I, I was a speed demon, you know. I'd do so many crazy things on, on a jet ski. but uh, And in a car. But in, anyway, we're talking about the accident. And um, I was in Saint-Tropez. Uh, my, my dad uh, used to take us um, to the south of France every summer. And I was on a jet ski and anyway, I was doing all the wildest, craziest stuff that I would I'd do. And one time, just one, well, the one thing I, I always did, it just didn't work out too well that time. And I, I flipped the jet ski and I landed and my head landed on the jet ski and, and my right side was, uh, was paralyzed. And my, my sister was behind me and, you know, she jumped off and then I jumped off and obviously it didn't work out too well. And then she saw me and uh, I remember I remember seeing her face and I didn't know what the hell was happening. I just knew that I was like Nemo. You know, I only had my left side to it. That was flipping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. Yeah. So it was it was it was it was wild. So anyway, some people, a friend of mine just jumped in the water and I, I had a, um, a life jacket. So I knew I was floating. But anyway, they put me in face up, hopefully. So, oh yeah yeah face up I, I know no by the way i i was never uh, unconscious which is the oddest thing in the world wow. from the severity of it the, uh, i should have been unconscious but i was never unconscious uh, they pulled me on towards the boat and my mom and my dad had went shopping and uh, anyway they called them and they told them that i had I've been into an accident and i remember seeing my dad after they put me on a stretcher and i told him dad i'm okay my hand is 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 a little bit back i can move it but my leg i can't move it and i was like updating him it was funny but um how long were you in that state with the paralysis so the paralysis for my leg um lasted a good year Uh, uh, with physical therapy uh let's say uh, from a scale of one to ten one being 100 percent paralyzed uh, throughout the year i reached i think five uh, and then throughout the two years after that, I reached um, uh, an eight or a nine. And um, and uh, it was all thanks to uh, an amazing team from um, this physical therapy center called uh, Great Lakes Physical Therapy out of Buffalo, New York. And uh, her name, um, Lynn, Joe, Aaron, and Debbie were my physical therapists. They had come intermittently throughout the year. And I'm telling you, they changed my life. You know, I, uh, it, it literally was the best thing that happened to me because I literally learned the value of life. And I learned a lot of stuff that you don't get to 
expose yourself as a teenager. So I learned about the mechanics of, of, of walking. And I learned about it. It's really, really complex when you really stop and think about it. And anyway, I was I was exposed to so many amazing people and so many amazing um, uh, doctors and um and I remember one doctor out of the, um, obviously my dad went all big and he got like 10 doctors, 10 neurosurgeons um, to, uh, to fly to, uh, wow. to Marseille to, to assess me. <laughs> bionic, bionic <laughs> <color>. <laughs> well, to assess me because I already had done uh, the surgery and the surgery. Oh, I didn't mention this. This is super. At the hospital in Marseille, which is not well known for, for maybe anything but soccer or football, but isn't, it's, definitely not well known for its um, medical um, environment. Uh, the only neurosurgeon was on holiday and sorry, the only, only brain surgeon was on holiday and he always showed up uh, two, three uh, days late. And for some reason, he literally came a week early um, from vacation. And I, I mean, Dr. Grizzly, I remember his name like yesterday, you know, it's insane. Grizzly bear. Yeah, exactly. Grizzly bear, but yeah. Anyway, he did, he did, he did the surgery and it took about eight hours or so to remove bone fragments from my brain. I know I'm getting a little too graphic for everyone, but, um, my leg, uh, didn't come back until a good year and a half, two years, but you know, I'm thankful, um, that this happened to me. I was exposed to really amazing people and exposed to some beautiful things that I would have never learned otherwise, you know, and I'm just mm-hmm. grateful for life and, and grateful for the experience to learn about the mechanics of, of, uh, of how complex our bodies are. What an experience. I imagine that completely changed you as a young man. So so that was 15, 16 years old. So when did you, because um, you obviously you raised in Riyadh, but then you went back to the US to study. Um, what age were you when you went back to the US? So I studied, um, yeah, I studied in, a, um, in a university called the University of New Haven uh, in Connecticut. It's, it's actually in West Haven. And uh, it's where Yale is, but Yale is in the nice part of, of, of Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> the, the university is going to hate me for saying that. I'm not teasing. I love the university, and um, uh, I again, I I, um, I I attribute a lot of my experiences to that um, to that uh, part of my life. Really, I, I, you studied I, business, right? Yes, I studied business and um, economics. Uh, I majored in uh, majored in business and uh, minored in economics and marketing. Amazing. And that part of your life, obviously, um, following in your dad's footsteps of business and investment and kind of working in, in the world that we live in, obviously, being, you know, you're born in the US, but um, being being sort of a young man from Saudi Arabia, what was it and what was it like sort of living in America? Because obviously, America, the US can be a very challenging place for people who are, in, in, you know, immigrants from other countries, or even just visitors. Did you ever experience any kind of like prejudice or, you know, challenging people just because of who you were or because of where you came from? That's such a great question. You know, I've, I've, I haven't experienced that once. And, and granted, that might be because of where I was in, in New Haven. Uh, yeah. But um, I really didn't experience that once uh, throughout, the, throughout the years of, of going to the U.S. Um, and I've been going and listen, I mean, I was born in the U.S. And I've, yeah. we, we go to the U.S. literally every single year for about three, four months out of the year for vacation and, and just th- for business travel with my dad when I was learning. And, uh, well, I'm still learning, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, listen to me, I'm a guru, you know, I, I'm not learning now, <laughs> but, um, um, no, I haven't experienced it once. I, and if I did, I can remember it. Um, mm. and it's, uh, I'm telling you that American people are one of the most, uh, understanding and most compassionate people in, 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 in um, 
in the world, you know. And uh, you, well, you, that might just would, that might depend on the state. You, you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't think that now. I, I get it right. for some yeah. reason, uh, but I think because of social media, they, that just um, amplified uh, what's happening there. But honestly, now uh, then, I I never had one issue to be honest. Mm, that's great to hear. Yeah, because prejudice can be a really challenging time for young people, you know, especially if you're in a foreign country. You know, I moved from Africa when I was 16 to live in England um, from Zimbabwe, where I was born. And obviously, being you know a Caucasian male, I you know I didn't experience racism, but I have had friends who came from Africa as as um, black Africans and experienced a lot of racism and like exclusion just because of the color of their skin or their accent um and being a young person in a foreign country it's scary enough and and challenging enough to have to deal with all these unknowns but also to have people being you know super unfriendly is really painful i mean racism and sort of prejudice exists everywhere i think it very much depends on you know uh, where we are and um our you know our are standing in life as in like the kind of places we go to. So it's always, it's always there, but it's always something that I think we all have to be conscious of and be aware of because mm -hmm. it's one of those, I personally describe it as a bit of a cancer within human society. You know, racism and prejudice is something that distorts the compassionate part of ourselves because it comes from a place of fear, doesn't it? That people just often fear the things that they don't know. And you mentioned social media and social media absolutely amplifies this these misunderstandings or these fears about other types of people and other types of cultures you know saudi arabia is no stranger to uh, all kinds of accusations and the, the press and the media and social media write stuff about social saudi arabia it does about england it does about israel it does about in america and you know in this world and you're part of this world social media world you work in, in technology you know you're an uber geek like me <laughs> you know how do we decide what is you know, how do you decide what's true and what isn't and when it comes to sort of consuming media like how do you make sense of this world where there's there's just so much conflicting information i watched uh, the social dilemma and that uh, opened up my eyes big time i mean okay granted um, before the social dilemma even now, to be honest, I'm not a big social media consumer, to be honest. And if I do, if it's on Instagram, I'm, I'm following everyone that has absolutely nothing to do with um, with uh, with politics. And if I see a political remark, I literally unfollow that person. As simple as that. It's just I don't want to be exposed to that, and that's not something I'm I'm ready to um, to, to to want to be exposed to. It's just, it's absolutely not interesting to me. But um, the way the what I learned from at least the um, the social dilemma is to follow people that you disagree with. Uh, and at least it gives me a lot of perspective from both sides. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. How do I get my news? Uh, th that's a great question. You know, I. Um... I, I really don't get my news from from anywhere from any one source. Uh, I have this uh, 
I've got an Android phone and I go to Google now um, and I get all the information uh, that's that's that um, Google wants you to see. <laughs> Google wants me to see exactly, yeah. And and uh, hey, if 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 it's if it's all um, rainbows and and and, um, and lilies Kittens. and roses, hey, listen, that's fine with me as long as I'm happy. <laughs> uh, that film is so powerful. I think I got to the end of it, and anyone who's listening who hasn't watched it, you must watch it. It's it talks about the power of social media as this incredible tool that was created by all these geeks in Silicon Valley who wanted to connect the world, but how it has been weaponized by political regimes and it has been weaponized by corporations to sell more products and, and essentially turn the internet into one giant super, you know, supermarket, like a super mall, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's um, so true. The, um, the fact of the matter is it wasn't meant to do that. It was such a beautiful idea uh, yeah. to, um, to implement and connect people, you know. I mean, the, the, you, you've heard in The Social uh, Dilemma, it connected families who have never heard of each other for, before it it, um, it it just opened up doors uh, that that you that would have been closed otherwise. But obviously, people other people have got their own agendas, and uh, you know bad things are going to happen regardless. And uh, just people have got to um, find a balance, and just um, and it's all up to people. And it's, it's not up to us to regulate people. It's not up to Google or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter to regulate people. It's just up to people to to try to um, zone out and uh, or, or uh, phase out the craziness out there. But then again, what, one person one person's crazy obviously is another person's. Oh my goodness, he's a brilliant. He's brilliant. I love him. You know, so it's all about education. But um, you know, let's go on to sort of business and and what you're doing with your life now. So you created uh, an organization or, or a business called KBW Investments and KBW Ventures. Um, this is your, you know, the place you got to today with your all your studies and and all the work that you've done and all your kind of passion for business and technology. How did where did KBW come from and and um, what, where where was the idea from mm-hmm. and how did it all begin? So it all began with, with me trying to consolidate all my um, the investments that I was making throughout the years um, and and really um, systemizing it and, and making it into a structured environment because I was just investing haphazardly. I. Uh, I hired a law firm not too long ago, and I've been really blessed with this law firm that I'm working with. They helped me really um, um, structure all my um, all my investments and, and and really tell me that you just need one structure, one one investment vehicle to 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 pull all your investments in. And anyway, obviously that's not what they said, but it's it's, uh, it's a little more complex than get that. organized, basically. Yeah, but basically, <laughs> it's get organized and get structured and get protected. On that on that topic of protected, I was something I wanted to ask you for a while. You know, growing up as you know, a member of the Saudi Arabian royal family and being from, you know, in a family of quite considerable wealth, did you get, did you often get sort of, well, I would say exploited by people? Did people sort of take advantage of your generosity? And, you know, as you, as you grew up as a young man, and as you moved into business and owning your own business, did you experience a lot of that kind of thing? Tying it back to the previous question? Yeah, for sure. Because KBW Investments came about because of all the uh, craziness that used to happen in the, in the business world for someone who was unprepared to be in the business world in the way that I was in it. You know, I, I had worked with my dad for a long time. And then, um, I, I worked for banks uh, before then, and then I just wanted to just do stuff on my own. And really, doing stuff on my own opened up my eyes to all the craziness and all the um, the the misinformation and the um, uh, the dishonesty that happens in business. 
I did lose my shirt a few times on a, a bunch of investments uh, and a bunch of partnerships that I shouldn't have partnered with, and it was it was uh, it was a it was a, an awakening, you know. It was any lessons you want to share with any budding investors? Any things that we need to be looking out oh, for? Oh yeah, and... for sure. For I mean, look, um, one of the one thing that I really learned is is and my dad used to say this all the time, and now I understood why, or then I understood why it was a trust but verify. You know, um, it's always good to trust your your business partner, but always verify that things are going uh, as they should be going. And as he says or she says uh, they're going. And that was one thing that I didn't do. I just trusted someone blindly. And then I had to pay for that for a long, long time. And I remember my dad saying, you know what? Um, you, you effed up, my man. So uh, go uh, dig yourself out of this ditch that, that you're in. And it took I'm telling you, it took a good seven years uh, for this wow. to get over. It was a long. That's it was a painful mistake. I'm telling you, man, it was painful. I, I my thirties were not nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, or I think my the majority of my thirties were not nice to me. So, um, I did learn a lot from it. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, uh, it's all about it's all about partnering with the right people or partnering with people and just make sure everything is structured and make sure that you trust but verify what people are doing. And as soon as you do that, you know, things are going to go smoothly. Um, uh, intrinsically, people want to trust other people. And I get that. And I do want to trust people. I do want to believe that um, this person is going to uh, is going to be as nice to me as I am to him, is going to be as trustworthy and as, as, as honest as I am uh, to them. Uh, but at the end of the day, most people, not most people, but some people are not like that. So mm. just learn from that and don't delegate for God's sake. If I'm, if I, if I would, if I were to tell anyone, anything, any piece of advice would be don't delegate, do your own work, you know, don't delegate it to people, make sure that things are done. And if you want to get things done, do it yourself. I like what you said. Don't dive in head first without checking where you're going. Cause you end up, you know, having, I was going to say a head injury, but you already there you suffered go. a head yeah, injury. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, so we're really focused on companies that really solve uh, problems uh, that the world is going through right now. And one of them, uh, one of these problems, uh, actually one of the biggest problems right now that we're facing is uh, global warming. So the third most impacted, um, impactful uh, industry is the animal agriculture industry. And um, we have to just find a better way to, to source protein for people. And uh, that's why we focused on some companies like Memphis Meats and other companies like Jeltor and, and Turtle Labs, um, Turtle Tree Labs and, and other companies to, um, to really focus on specific areas uh, in that industry. So obviously, you know, you've learned a lot and you've experienced a lot and your businesses involved in, in your investments are, are, are many. Talk us through some of the, the most exciting ones that you're working on at the moment. We talked about a few on the live, but if you wouldn't mind going through some of the ones that you're really excited about at the moment. Uh, from one thing that we are really excited about in our portfolio um, companies is obviously Beyond Meat is one of them. You know, Beyond Meat is one of the most exciting and one of the most um, future-proof companies that I've ever uh, come across, and I'm so proud of being part of uh, part of this company. Um, but um, you know, Geltor is super, super interesting for me. You know, this is a company that's doing collagen and gelatin out of uh, from plant-based alternatives. People don't know this, but uh, the majority of the, the gelatin or the collagen uh, that comes from uh, sweets or comes uh, to the um, uh, the beauty industry comes from um, uh, pig bones, uh, wow. essentially. So if you stop, stop for a second and think about the Muslim world and you look at a 1.3 billion uh, um, population market, then you'd think, you know, there's a huge opportunity here to expose companies to what they're actually doing. And guess what? There's an alternative to these um, products, and it's Geltor. 
So this is where we're helping Geltor expand here in the region uh, and in, in the Muslim world uh, entirely. And then obviously other companies or other regions are going to adopt that by default because it's cheaper uh, and it, um, it's as good as, as uh, I don't want to say regular collagen or gelatin, but uh, gelatin collagen that's derived from animal bones. So that's a company I was super interested in. I, I was super interested in when I met them and uh, really happy with that investment. But um uh, Prolacta, good Lord. Uh, I, I can't say enough of good things about Prolacta. This is a company that uh, sources human milk from uh, breastfeeding moms who have stopped breastfeeding for whatever reason. Uh, and either they, uh, uh, and, uh, they use the milk to, to uh, concentrate into to a superfood and, and, and it's meant for super premature babies. Uh, a lot of these babies um, um, that grow up um, uh, get this horrible illness. I can't even pronounce this illness. But uh, they grow up with all the illness that really wrecks their internal um, intestinal um, uh, system. And um, what happens is they either grow up with a colostomy bag for the rest of their lives or they die. This kind like of colitis, ulcerated colitis. There you go, exactly. Yeah, something, yeah, colitis. Something, something, colitis. Sorry for all the doctors yeah. that I'm butchering the names, <laughs> but you know, I respect you all. So you, you, can, you can DM me the right name and, and you know, shame me for it. <laughs> but um, that's incredible that what incredible technology and so the this is this this is the cellular agriculture world right of kind of cultured foods the this isn't actually this is just a company that has a bioreactor that um or some sort of reactor that that uh, just um, um doubles the protein quadruples or or the or triples the fat uh, um, amount in this in human milk and just gears it for towards super premature babies and it's it's been like a standard in stanford hospital for example Super, super interesting companies that we're we're really, really um, uh, blessed to be part of. You know, I'm I'm just so excited about that about companies like that. Mm, amazing. Um, one other company I'm really excited about personally is Memphis Meats and cultured and cellular agriculture. As I said, I truly believe that humans or some humans want to continue to eat animal products that we must grow it ourselves, because obviously, as we talked about, animal agriculture is the leading cause of many of our problems on this planet today: species extinction, ocean dead zones, poisoned rivers, you name it. Right. And this cultured meat has the power to produce meat and animal products at a hundredth of the environmental cost. How far away are we, do you think, with, with cultured meats? When are we going to see them on supermarket shelves and will people be able to afford them? Oh, that's a super question. So I think from my point of view, and, and obviously you'll hear a lot of conflicting um, um, uh, remarks over this, but uh, from my humble point of view, I honestly believe that we're going to see um, we're going to see a form of, uh, of cellular agriculture um, uh, meat in selected restaurants. I was going to say, honestly, the end of this year if it wasn't for COVID, uh, but I would say the end of next year, you'll be able to see it in, in select restaurants. And for the vast, for the vast majority of people, I would easily say uh, the next three to five years you'll be able to you'll be able to see it. I mean, a lot of these other companies will definitely say you know five, ten years and all that good stuff. I, I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be a lot sooner than that. Price uh, prices have really dropped down significantly since uh, the five thousand dollar meatball days. Did you say five thousand dollars a meatball? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I swear that that's how much it used to cost to make uh, the first meatball that used. Actually, it cost a lot more. The first. Why meatball, so much for one meatball? Ah, because all the R and D that you had to do, the feed that you had to give the the, um, the cells to grow. All those contributors uh, uh, really uh, pushed the prices uh, up significantly, and it was super, super early in the process. And with economies of scale, 
um, uh, you don't have to use you know bovine um, um, syrup and, uh, serum anymore. So what mm-hmm. you do right now is that you can grow the feed in house, and that uh, that costs uh, the uh, the uh, prices significantly uh, for, for for producing cellular agriculture. Obviously, amongst other other um, factors. But for now, um, uh, Memphis Meats uh, is an absolute rock star. And I, I back uh, Dr. Um, Uma Valetti um, blindfoldedly. You know, he, he's someone that I absolutely trust. And I remember meeting him in New York not too long ago, just way, way before um, Memphis Meats was anything. And I remember meeting him and, 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 and Steve, and um, they were talking to me about the technology. I was like, are you kidding me? This is fascinating, you know? Um, it's like science fiction, right? Oh, good Lord, yeah. And I think not um, a year later, we made the investment, our first investment in, in, in Memphis Meats. But uh, uh, Uma um, and Lou uh, from uh, Blue Nalo and Bond, obviously, Bond Fed Foods. Uh, oh, and obviously, um, a Turtle Tree from, uh, from, from Singapore. These companies are, are literally going to lead the way in change when it comes to cellular agriculture for fish, uh, for um, for uh, land animals as well as uh, milk and pet foods, obviously. So, should we be investing in these companies? Mm. Should people be getting behind these? One hundred percent. That's the future. You know, there. Um, I mean, you you heard it from Sir Richard Branson, and I totally believe that um, uh, there will not be uh, meat from an animal after to twenty fifty. I, I totally believe that. I hope it's a lot earlier than that. But I just totally believe that it'll be it'll be a delicacy, for example, to have um, meat from an animal. People will find it strange. I think. People will look at people who eat animals and go, that's strange. That's very old fashioned. And I, I, I totally get that. And then hopefully with the generations to come, they'll influence a lot of uh, their, their, the later, the earlier generations to, um, to, to make these uh, significant changes. And we're seeing this with, uh, with Gen Z, we're seeing that with millennials. And we're hoping that that continues, uh, uh, that continues throughout the future uh, because you, an animal does not have to suffer for you to have meat anymore. This is the reality of this world. And that's the, just a beautiful reality that, I, that I'm, I'm so happy I'm being, I'm, I'm alive to be part of. So we, we obviously, not everyone who's listening, hopefully there's some non-vegans listening. <laughs> you, you're a very passionate uh, vegan yourself. Uh, we, we've talked about this before and laughed about this before, how vegans go through these different stages of like anger, angry vegan to accepting to sort of, you know, finally kind of coming to realization that we can't change the world in one day. How have, how has your sort of approach to your advocacy, whether it's with your family, with your dad, with your, your you know, cousins or whoever, have you changed the way you talk about it and the way you communicate it? Um, big time. You know, I, I honestly was an absolutely angry vegan, to be honest. And, uh, and, 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 and in a way, I knew that I had the right to be because it's, um, you're, 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 you're wrecking the life of, um, of my children and my children's children. Um, for continuing to doing what you're doing. But at the end of the day, the, the alternative wasn't there. And I'm talking, what, six, seven, eight years ago. And the alternative was, well, it was there, but it was limited to where uh, to how it is yeah. now. And it often tasted really bad. <laughs> I mean, it did, you know, it did this like cardboard and uh, it was it was horrible, to be honest. But um, granted, it's, on, it's horrible because of the way people were cooking it also, because, you know, you can cook things and you can really transform things and you can transform tofu to be something amazing, which is what I do literally every day. Um, uh, you, you don't get far by being an angry vegan or an angry uh, environmentalist. While I understand and respect uh, the necessity uh, to, uh, to, to, to push out your agenda because there is an urgency here. 
I get that. I 100% get that. But at the end of the day, uh, people don't respond to that. Um, and uh, I honestly see um, the way to move forward is not going to be through advocacy, is not going to be through um, exposing these companies to what they're doing, even though I respect and I will always support and I have supported um, um, organizations like Mercy for Animals or like Animal Equality and um, the Humane League and all the other um, HSUS and all the other amazing organizations out there. Um, from my point of view, their work is crucial. And I applaud them and I want them to continue doing what they're doing, obviously. But from my point of view also, the biggest change that's going to affect this world is going to be innovation. Innovation mm. is going to solve this issue. Provides the solutions, right? 100%. On, on that topic of solutions, we if you're listening to this podcast in the future, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, the half of Western civilization and, and Eastern civilization seems to have ground to a halt due to a very annoying and quite deadly to some people virus. Uh, it's, you know, we're having lockdowns and businesses closing and and a lot of uncertainty uh, and uncertainty in business don't go well together, right? So it's really bad for business. What is your advice as an entrepreneur and as a businessman to businesses who are really like in fear of what the future holds? Like how should we be pivoting and adapting in this very, very uncertain COVID world? If, if businesses didn't learn now from how to pivot, then you'll never learn because now is really the time to, to, to really um, uh, put your thinking caps on and really understand how it is that uh, or what it is that you need to do to, to, uh, to pivot your business and, and, and really make a difference. And, and, and um, again, I can't emphasize enough. And if this podcast is being heard, let's say, 10 years from now, um, y'all listening, we went through some of the weirdest, strangest SHIT we've ever done in our life. And, and hopefully in your lifetime, I've never experienced something like this. The whole world stopped because of a virus. I mean, if you stop and think about it, for a virus that was contracted from an animal to a human because of wet markets. And I understand how, quote unquote, wet markets are important for, for some regions and all that BS. I, I, I couldn't give a lesser SHIT about that. I, I Listen... If, if your practices are affecting the world, then guess what? You need to stop these practices and you need to find another way of sourcing your goddamn food. Um, yeah. and, and, and guess what? World leaders, as well as the World Health Organization, needs to, needs to put their big boy pants on and actually hold these people accountable. By the way, you know what um, wet markets are called in the West? What? factory farming <laughs> right there's no there's no absolutely difference. yeah factory farming factory farms are cooking up all kinds of superbugs just waiting to get out and attack humans on mass i mean the 1918 uh pandemic which killed 50 million people mm -hmm. and we didn't even have airplanes back then uh -huh. came from chickens yep Yep. And, 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 um, and I've seen a bunch of studies and I've talked to Dr. Greger and a bunch of other doctors and researchers who are looking into this. We're looking at a next, the next pandemic could make this, this little one look like, uh, look like um, uh, a, walk in the park. a walk in the park compared to, exactly, compared to. Uh, Shouldn't what, laugh, but it's absolutely that's true. That's the sad reality of it. And we're living in, and we're living in the middle of it and, and things need to change. You know, um, uh, the reality of it, people are not going to stop eating meat. Granted, this is why innovation is key to, 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 to solving these world issues. It's, it's not, it's not close the wet markets. It's not uh, stop eating meat. People are not going to stop eating meat. 
I mean, uh, that's just the reality. I hate seeing it, but that's the reality of it. So let's find an alternative. And the alternative is there. It's just that I believe governments need to stop subsidizing BS programs uh, like the dairy industry and the meat industry. Well, and in fact, and the oil industry, but that's another subject. And start subsidizing um, uh, technologies that are fast track to, to fast track. Um, sorry, let me say that again. To um, com- uh, um, governments need to start uh, subsidizing companies. Governments need to stop um, uh, these 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 lobby programs and start looking after their their citizens and the future of this world. Mm, the solutions are all around us. Absolutely, with all these challenges ahead of us and around us all the time, it's very easy to become a little bit disillusioned and feel like, what's the point? Why am I bothering? I may as well take what money I have and go and buy a house and live on a hill in Bali and just watch the sunset every night. How do you stay positive as as a you know a young man in this world? Like, how do you keep yourself from becoming depressed and miserable about the future of humanity? Because I mean, you're a dad, you're a dad as well. You've got kids, so yeah. how do you how do you stay positive? That's so hard. So I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I'll be extremely honest again with everyone. Um, it's super hard to remain um, to remain um, positive uh, during this world uh, and during what's happening around us. It is super hard. But at the end of the day. Positive will prevail, and people with with uh, with um, with positive and um, a, a a conscious uh, rather will really prevail uh, compared to the others who just don't really care and just care about their bank bank accounts. Things will change eventually. It says uh, how to stay positive. You, you just have to work on it yourself. You know there isn't one way to to to, um, to to stay positive. It's it's such a hard thing to do. You're being poked at from left, right, and behind you and above you. Everything is just being bombarded with with um, bombarding these kids and adults uh, with all sorts of negative news and and and, and sentiments and and um, and outlooks. Uh, that the only way to really do it is to just be still for a few minutes uh, and and really understand that this world isn't ending anytime soon. And that's the reality of it. It's just it's, mm. we're going through a horrible time it's right changing. now. It's just changing, and it's up to you. It's up to you all listeners. It's up to everyone and even whoever is not listening to to make to make their voices heard that change needs to happen and needs to happen fast. Um, politicians are not going to change this world. They're act, they're pulling us backwards. You know, innovation is going to change this world. Uh, society is going to change this world. And it's up to people to take it in their own heads. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying riot and don't do that, all the garbage. That's not going to work. Just do it in a systematic and 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 and, and well-mannered way that that um, you can be heard and, being, and be uh, taken serious. And that's the hard thing. But, you know, I mean, for me, I hate to say it because so many people suffered during COVID and so many people died. And my heart goes out to everyone and, and their families who um, who literally had to go through uh, the COVID times, whether you lost a family member or whether you were affected by being a small business. Because small businesses are the are the guys who are suffering. You know, big, big businesses actually benefited from, from, from COVID. So my heart goes out to them. But for me, as, as Khaled, I honestly, my life changed to the better, you know, and because I learned to meditate, I learned to, to be still amongst the chaos. I learned to quiet the, the voices in my head. And it's the journey that I, I still go up and down in. And granted, I, um, I sometimes really, really suck at it. But at the end of the day, that's the practice that you need to, you need to keep practicing in, in, in essence. Uh, I've, I've come to the realization right now that 
if I start imagining how things are going to be and I just think about it, a, um, a negative outcome, that's how I'm going to live my life. And if I just choose to think about positivity and how things could happen, could change to the positive, things are going to turn out positively inside of me now, not later, but now. And now it's what, is what counts for me. And I honestly, that it changed my life to the better. You know, I, I learned so many skills um, that I that I'm working on on perfecting. And I, that's what I call for people to do, you know, just just practice stillness, practice um, meditating, practice being 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 conscious of, of your present moment and stop focusing on on, on, on either the shitty future or, or, or the, the shitty past that, 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 that happened and, and, and really just hone your hone your senses to to better yourself. And um, and and, uh, and I don't know. Practice. Do stuff that that uh, that that, uh, that can elevate some skills that you have. I mean, I, I I've done a few things that that helped me. I don't know with programming. I started learning a little more about programming. I, I started learning about silly stuff. I started learning about how to put put together a mechanical keyboard, for example. I, I never knew that was such a fun thing, but it was. So take your mind out of the gutter and and and, and live be present. And I'm swear to you, it, it helps so much. I would say to add to that, try and reduce your social media time because we're constantly being bombarded with negative messages regularly on social media. It's a bit harder for me where I work in the media and I do battle with that. But I think if you, you know, if you're a person, you know, who isn't involved in the media, staying out of social media, because it is constantly trying to really like alter your your mood um so that's a one good thing but beautifully said i think it's such great advice there before i let you go i always like to ask my guests this one last question if you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig (laughs) obviously you're not gonna eat the pig because you're a vegan but if i gave you if you're stuck on this desert island and i gave you one vegan dish one book and one music album what would you take with you oh good lord so music album is here is easy so i would definitely take the eagles one vegan dish so i can eat that every day for the rest of my that's life that's all you're stuck with yeah on the desert island with your pig friend okay so i'll, I'll a burrito you know i would go with it with because it's got everything and i can feed him too so he so he can be happy too or he or she a, a buddha bowl you know a buddha bowl is really good oh, so i'm gonna go with buddha my bowl. favorite too good choice <laughs> i'm gonna go with um the eagles and what was the third thing the book what would be your book oof I'm reading so many amazing books right now. And um, I would say A New Earth. A New Earth is, is to me, a little better than The Power, the power of Now. Uh, I, I would yeah. go with A New Earth. Good choice. Yeah. Very uplifting. Thank you, my friend, for a wonderful podcast. And it's great to sit down with you and learn a little bit more about you and all the, the work that you've been doing. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for having me on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to my BS for one hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's flew by and I'm looking forward to doing a part two soon when we can dive a little bit deeper into investments and business and amazing. learn a little bit more about um, that part of your life, too, because obviously loads more to talk about. Thanks for joining us. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and we'll be back next time with more veganism, food, fashion, food technology, and everything else in between.